0: Listen and obey, right? It's critical stuff this morning. Revelation chapter 2, you are brave if you've read ahead. If you haven't, you might want to strap in when you sit down. It's going to be a crazy ride. The words of Jesus to the first church, his church, his bride, written around 95, 96 A.D., he says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works. I got them all recorded. Your labor recorded. I know your patience. And you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And you've found them liars. You guys are knocking it out of the ballpark. And you've persevered and have patience in case you missed it the first time. And you have labored. This is the w- awesome promise. And you have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. How's that possible? Oh, we're going to know before we leave. Nevertheless. I have this against you, that you have left, not lost, that you have left your first love, church. Remember, therefore, three R's. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, which is return, and do the first works, which we're going to call repeat, and do the first works. What's the next two words? I'm not even going to say them. You say them. How is that possible? Little Jesus meek and mild say or else. Because he bought us and paid for us with his blood. He has the r- r- right to say or else. Or else. It's a crazy thought. Or else I will come to you. And I'm going to do it quickly and I'll remove your lampstand from its place. Remember where the lampstand was last week? It was in heaven. Unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Nico, two Greek words, Nico, priesthood, laitans, laity, the common people. Jesus says, I hate the deeds of those who are, are standing between me and my fellow man. I hate that. That's why I died, so they wouldn't have to do that. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We've got to hear it today, team. Critical or else. To him who overcomes. And we've got to be overcomers. And here's why. I will give to eat from the tree of life. If you've read ahead, you know where that's at. But then Jesus tells us where, where is it at. Which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Crazy, crazy crazy stuff. Let's pray. Father, we want to be found where we can hear, where we can understand. And Lord, where we want to be found doing your word. And so God, please help us to stay awake. Help us not to be distracted. God, we desperately need to hear your voice in these last days of self-love. that we may not hear or else. So keep us tuned in. Lord, bless our study this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I was going to name these next two chapters the report cards are in, but you know, you, when you get a report card, the grade level's over and you get to move on to the next one. So I'm not going to do that. These, these two chapters that we're coming into are going to be called the progress reports are in, parts one through seven. Because if I get a progress report and I'm not really doing what I need to be doing, I can have a conference where I can make the changes, I can put in the extra homework. But here with Jesus, I got to be checking in with him. I mean, the last two chapters that are coming upon, Jesus, who we saw clearly last week is God Almighty, He is addressing his bride, you and me. He's addressing the one that he bled and died for. And you know what? You may not know this, but he has the right to tell us how to live. You look in the Old Testament, God saved them out of slavery. They were serving idols, and God had the right to tell them how to live. Well, that sounds like legalism. No, it's not. You were a parent. Those kids were in your house. Didn't you have the right to tell them how to live? Yes or no? Okay, well, why can't God do the same? And see, Jesus is going to do so from the basis that he has given his bride a roadmap on how his church, his bride should be living. And out of these seven churches, two of them, one who's being intensely persecuted and one who is radically in love and on fire for Jesus Christ, are in great shape. The rest... And I used to, when I got saved I was like, "Oh, Calvary Chapel, we're Philadelphia, we're Philadelphia." But as I've grown, oh no, we're all seven. See, the the other five Jesus has issues with, and in order to get into heaven, you have to overcome those issues. Those aren't my words. You saw it. Those are Jesus' words. So that's going to rattle all of our theology of man because this is what it is. So stay tuned. This is important to Jesus and you and me. So, you know, let's say you're tired one week and you might feel like dozing off. No, normally, I, okay, but this is pretty critical stuff. Couldn't we all agree? So if you're dozing off, we need like a code word like, bam! You know, and that means you're supposed to look and see if your wife's awake or your husband's sleeping. Look at that person next, hey, because I'm going to do it. Because when I get to heaven and I'm giving an accounting to God, I'm going to say, hey, I did everything, including, bam! Okay, and you're supposed to look around at that point. Verse 1, as Jesus checks in on the church in Ephesus and checks in on the church in the woodlands, to the angel of the Church of Ephesus right? Last week, I shared two ideas on who these angels could possibly be. And last week, I said, I don't know. And you can go listen online, and you can hear all all the reasons for that. Today, though, from my limited human brain point of view, I find it hard to believe that Jesus is writing a letter to one of his perfect angels and saying, hey, dude, dude angel, you got some major issues going on in your church. I I just kind of find that really hard to fathom. So today, the messenger is the pastor, and in turn, then the pastor has to come and deliver it to his flock. And that's what we're gonna do today. So Jesus is writing to the pastor of the church of Ephesus because if this place right here moves off of center where we should be, where we're no longer on fire and in love for Jesus, that all falls on me. And I'm the only one that's gonna be standing in that line and giving accounting as to how I did a tending and feeding the sheep here. Okay. And, and I, I don't want to be in that line and say, hey, you're in trouble. Go read James chapter 2. Teachers will be held to higher standard. But, but nobody's off the hook here. Okay. So look to your neighbor on the right. Look at him. Okay. Now look to the neighbor on your left and say, Jesus wants to speak to you. My brother, if it's a brother or sister. Go ahead. Tell him. He wants to. Because it says, he who has an ear. Look around. We, we got ears? You know, some of the ladies may have to, you know, do their little hair thing. (laughs) Hey, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. That means all of us. Now, we have a description of Jesus right here in verse 1. He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and we saw what that was last week, It carries with it the idea or the symbol of authority and power, and Jesus says, I hold those pastors, those angels. I hold that church. I've taken ownership of that church. And why? Because it's Jesus' church. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's not Calvary Chapel's. No, it's Jesus' church. And so Jesus says he holds the leaders in his hand. Thus, the basic message to the church in Ephesus is to remember who's in charge. Because, see, it's not me. Ever. It's Jesus. Whatever you do or give or whatever. It's never done to me, or Calvary Chapel, or Chuck Smith. It's always done for Jesus. Always. You know, you can't get to heaven and go, well, you know, Lord, I had issues with Pastor Bruce, and you don't know, you know, so that's why I didn't do anything. Hey, it's recorded now. That's not going to fly when you get there. You're not doing anything for me. You've got the wrong perspective. Jesus is the one who receives all worship and praise. We're just cracked clay pots," Paul says, with the Holy Spirit in us that he, the Holy Spirit might work out of us and work in us. You know, the instruments don't aren't anything. When I had my brain surgery, when I woke up at 10 o'clock and did my first lap, I didn't go looking for the scalpels and the tools they used and said, "Oh, thank you for healing me. You'd look stupid if you did that. But for some reason in the church, we want to elevate the instrument rather than the surgeon. And when I saw a man, I thanked him and said, people all around the world were praying for you. Church, we get sideways if we think it's a man. It's that, if you're following a man, that's an idol. The only man we've got to be following is the God man. It's critical. You know, we're just vessels that God can work in and work through. Lose sight of it, big trouble. So Jesus says to them and to us who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. And we saw what that, what that was last week. It was, it's the churches. So again, Jesus is reminding the church of Ephesus and the church in the woodlands that Jesus is in the midst of the church. Every time we gather together, he's present. That's why you don't want to miss out on worship. He's already here when we gather. He says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm already here. And you don't think he's taking inventory of who comes in late? I don't, because it ain't for me. But he's here. He wants to receive our worship. Lose sight of that? Mmm, big trouble. You start thinking you're in charge. All of a sudden, you get to lead the show and you get to call the shots. And, I mean, and you get to do what you want to do. I mean, after all, it's your life. Yeah, but doesn't that sound like business? That sounds like a business relationship with God. I'm going to do what I want to do and how I'm going to do it. And we're going to do this and we're going to do Man, if we start running the church that way, it is a business. And if we start running our own personal lives that way, all of a sudden it's according to our desires and our plans rather than his, we're in trouble. Neglected priorities are the result of taking our eyes off the one who is the authority and starts thinking somehow, hey, we, we know best. I mean, when, when my love and your love for Jesus decreases, many problems develop in our lives that no solution, no program, no earthly counselor can fix except a return to that first love. And that's an amen. Oh, we're having problems. No, you need to return to your first love. No, no, pastor, it's married. Return to your first love. Because listen, when I return to my first love, all of a sudden everything's seen clearly. All of a sudden I'm gracious and I'm loving and I'm forgiving. In verse 2, like in all seven letters, Jesus declares his knowledge concerning them and he says, I know your works. So if Jesus were to write a letter to you and me today and he were to say the same, I know your works, what would be on the paper? The reality is, though, he already did write the letter. It's right here. We can read it anytime we want. It's right here before us this morning. He says, I know your works. And I have to stop and ask myself as he's writing to them. I've got to ask myself, so what do I got? What do you got? You know, when Jesus said to him, I know your works, he also says, I know your works, Bruce. I know your works, Yuri. Typically, this church is remembered for the church that left its first love. And that's true. We're going to get there. But first, let's address this church had a lot of works, something the church has to have as well. We don't ask, we don't beg, and we don't even say, hey, there's a box out in the hallway where you can put your tithes and offerings in. I'm not opposed to people that do that. We don't. But you know what? In the context of serving and working, oh man, I'm going to hit on it every time. And here's why. In the last days, the church is going to become selfish and self-centered and in love with themselves. And so they're not going to do any work for Jesus because it's all going to be about, oh, I'm, I'm in love with me. So I'm going to bring it up every time we hit it because that's going to keep us in a place where we're in love for, with Jesus. And so we're doing these works out of love for him and we're not doing them out of our love for ourselves, which is going to cause us to fall away. In context, we're going to address our works for Jesus. And I'm going to do them unto him every single time. I I, I am glad that all of you are here. I, I love everything. I lay my life down for you. But you're not sliding into eternity without any works. At least not on my watch. So how... Is your Bible reading coming along? I'm just going to ask you. Because if that doesn't happen, certainly there can't be any works flowing out of that. How's your sharing your faith with others coming along? You realize most people in the church never share their faith? And yet it it is the most exciting thing to do next to climbing in the Father's lap with His Word. How's your prayer time by yourself and with others coming along? How's your weekly fellowship with on-fire believers where Jesus is always the conversation and not stuff that's just gonna burn up like the chaff? See, getting together and hanging out and never bringing Jesus in the conversation, yeah, that's not fellowship. How are those gifts and talents that Jesus gave you at salvation to be used for his glory working out for you? Notice there's nothing in that about money. That ain't between, that's not my thing. I know your works. I don't know many of your works. I only know mine. But Jesus, he knows all of our works. Just like he does for this church in Ephesus. We we find that thought about works in our faith in the book of James where it says a genuine salvation works. And then he goes on to say, faith without works is dead. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead is dead also. I don't want to be found there, and neither do you. I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty certain showing up and occupying a seat, I don't think that's quite what Jesus had in mind when he was talking about works. I'm sure you get credit for it. So showing up is it's okay. But I don't want anyone showing up in heaven with nothing. 1 Corinthians 3, read all about it. There's, someone's going to pass through the fire because Paul writes about them and all of their works burn up and they end up in heaven for eternity with nothing. You're still going to be stoked to be there. But I'm going to bug you. Others may bug about money. I ain't going to do that. I'm going to bug you about serving. God has given you gifts. He placed them in you at salvation. And you may go, what are they? Well, let's, sit, let's get together and let's talk about it. Because you probably know, you just don't really know, but he's done it. It's in there. You know, when, when we get there, we want Jesus saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Jesus commends the work that these in this church were doing. And we all got to be found in that same place, team. And see, that's the beauty of the church, where every part does their part. You know, the entire body benefits, where if there's parts that are lacking, it's like, nah, I'm not going to do my thing there. Well, then the whole body suffers. And yet six more times, in six more letters, Jesus is going to say, I know your works. It's all hit I'll bug you about it for the next six weeks. Jesus is saying, I see everything that's happening there. It's not not a dead church. It's a busy church. Nowhere in the scriptures are really pew potatoes mentioned or given a warning. I I don't even know if they're noticed except for maybe in church number seven. And so he says, I know your labor. Now, ladies, it's not labor like you think. (laughs) You should get a reward for that. But that's not what Jesus has in mind here. The word means laborious toil. Yeah, that sounds like labor. No, but that's not what Jesus has in mind. It's a word that means you're reducing your strength. So these guys in Ephesus, man, they're just laying it all on the line. They're going for it. Jesus says, I know the weariness that you're experiencing from that exertion. I know your patience. Patience to persevere, to remain under. Endurance to all that's going on around you. You know, this patience is not when you get get told to go park in the McDonald's line. Oh, man, i got to do it again. Lord, I need patience. Now, that's like baby-level patience. This is like PhD-level patience. These people, they don't surrender to the circumstances of life, man. They just keep going. Next, Jesus compliments them more. I know you cannot bear those who are evil. Jesus, his first recorded big sermon from chapters uh, six through eight, no, chapters five through seven, he says this, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. And then Paul reminds this very church in Ephesus, he says, hey, at my departure, I know ravenous wolves are going to come in and rip off the sheep. Jesus says, you guys listen to Paul, you're doing a great job. You've kept the evil wolves out. And you've tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and you've found them liars. You know, the only way to test something to find out if it's true is to what? You've got to open your Bible. Could you imagine if the church today woke up tomorrow and said, okay, from here on out, we're opening our Bibles and testing everything. that would be chaos they tested the character or the views of the traveling apostles and found them to be liars they were grounded in the word of god jesus says they've labored for my namesake you haven't become weary they go to bed tired they wake up ready to run again they are relentless in church we must be that in the last days that we live in you see, the reason all this junk has crept into the church for the last 100 plus years is because the church just rolled over and let it. Those with gifts and abilities and talents and, 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 a, and a heart could have stood up and said something about it, but apparently they just didn't want to. Go read some of the old commentaries around the time of Darwin. They, just, they see it, but they just kind of like just let it roll in, and it's still rolling in. You know, and it's going to keep rolling in until the church gets on fire. You know, we're not going to go out and beat the darkness. That's not who we are. That's not, certainly that's not what Jesus did. But we've got to, as we live our lives, we've got to turn on the light of Jesus Christ where we walk and where the church walks and where he lives today that the people in the world might see that. And then come in and inquire. Or come to you and inquire. These guys were constant in their work for the Lord. Please notice that Jesus says here in the midst of all these w- words for labor or work, last part of verse 3, and you have persevered and have patience and have, not, and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. How is that humanly possible? No burnout, no quitting, no letting up. How, how is that humanly possible? It's not but by grace, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, that when I'm weak, the power of God will rest upon me. If, if, it's a big if, if I pick my foot up because I know what I need to do, and I pick my foot up and say, Lord, Lord, you've got to empower me. And when I pick up my foot, then God plants it and empowers it. That's what these guys, that's how they live. They live, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. And they are allowing the grace of God to drive them through Tough situations, and 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 and, and in the, in those places in your life where you are weak, but you know you you know what you need to do, and you pick your foot up, and the power of God comes upon you. That's like a triple E ticket in Disneyland. As I date myself, it's triple E. That's how we should be living our lives, man—a triple E ride. Because when I was nine in 1970, the A ride was for the babies. Who wants to be in the A ride? I guess if you're a baby, I didn't want to go. I, no, I don't. You know, you had, you ended up with. Hey, my dad would go. Hey, how come you got all those tickets? We're out. No, look, you got A B. No, we're out. I didn't know you could combine them. I, we're just out. Now go use them. I'm not using that A ride stuff. And that should be the way the church operates. I don't want to A-ride stuff. Man, I want to be triple E. I want to be out there going for it, watching what God wants to do in my life when I'm at work or at school or out playing or whatever. I mean, the heart has to change in the life of the church. And I'm not talking here. I'm just talking about the church in general. You know, sick, out of town good reasons to stay away. You know, the people of Calvary Chapel, the Woodlands, have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Man, that is possible because we are fueled by the love and the grace of God, just like the church in Ephesus was. You know, the crazy thing about all this labor here, by looking at the outside, oh, it was labor, and they were going for it. But by looking at the inside, in the hearts, look at verse 4, nevertheless, or, dis- or despite all of this good, Jesus says, I have this against you, that you have left, not lost, very important we understand that, that you have left your first love. Somehow they got wrapped up in serving, that they left Jesus on the bench, so they end up with the leave Jesus on the bench and take the ball and make your own shots theory. It doesn't work. It does. It does. But it's not what God wants. So what would that look like today in the life of the church? I think it would be doing, planning, organizing something for Jesus and then doing a, one, a little 30-second prayer on the end and say, Lord, bless it. It should be the other way around. You know, you create the swell and you, you power it up and you push the water and then you jump on it right into the, the shore. No, that, that's where you've left Jesus. And honestly, it's really easy to do. Have a long meeting, a little quick prayer. Oh, got to go. Oh, quick, got to pray, you know, a little two-second prayer. It's real easy to do. But if you check that method back against the Scriptures as we detour, one detour, Acts chapter 13, please, you know, spin back a little bit. Because there is a method that the early church employed. That's why they turned the world upside down. Acts chapter 13, verse 2, look what it says. As they, you know, Paul hasn't even went out on his first missionary journey yet. It says, as they ministered to the Lord. That's what we do in worship. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, and I add clearly with words that you can understand, not feelings. The Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, They sent them away, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. That is the way the church must always seek to move forward. Notice there's no business type stuff right there. Trusting that Jesus, you know, he said he's going to build his house. That's that's where we got to be. The words that you have left your first love, it's... You've left your first love for Jesus, church, or you've left your first love for people, or maybe it's both. I don't know how he's addressing them here. But this church was still going through the motions. They just left the love for Jesus on the side. And there's a lot of that in the in, our, in the church and in our lives today. So we got to be aware of that. You know, they're no longer motivated by the love of Jesus Christ in them and for them and for others, and Jesus is saying to this church, that, you know what, they were, you were once this way. I mean, think about it. 96 AD, some of them walked with Jesus. Some of them saw the resurrected Jesus. Some of them were there on the day of Pentecost. Think about it. You were once this way, but you've left your romance. You've left your love for me. And you've left your love for one another. And if I do that, that means I have to put my love on something else. See, when we were first saved, I would hope that each one of us, you know, we thought about our sin being forgiven. Man, we were so excited. We thought about being saved by God and called by God. Man, our hearts were on fire. And if you crossed our path, you're in big trouble. Because we're going to tell you what's going on in our hearts. But then somehow, over time, it just happens to, Well, how's that possible? Simple. You just don't feed the fire anymore. The reason you did what you used to do, you just don't do that anymore. You know, many people come into marriage counseling and say this, I have left my, uh, no, I have lost my love for my husband. I just don't, I've lost all feelings for him. And I'll let him go on and on. And it's like, no, ma'am, that's not true. You've left your first love. You've left Your love that you once had. Because you married him, right? Or did they shotgun you and make you say, I do? No, you've left it. See, loss makes me a victim. Left makes me responsible. Nobody loses their first love. You you wouldn't know where to go get it. You lose something. I mean, there's stuff I've lost. If If I knew where it was, I'd go get it. I don't know where it's at. But when you leave something, as Jesus addresses them here, you know right where to go. If you leave something, it's deliberate. You know where to pick it up again. And Jesus is going to tell this church exactly how to pick it up again. You know, some might be missing the labor part because you've left your first love and there's no labor you got busy doing other things. Others may have left their first love and they're doing things, but yet then others are still on fire and they're laboring and they're doing out of great love for Jesus. You know, what Jesus tells these that are active for Him is the same cure for those who, for people who aren't active for Him. And here's what we need to understand. Jesus is more concerned about you than your service for Him. Yes. That's why he's writing to them here. Hey, you've done great, but what about the love you once had for me and my people? You know, that alone time when you'd climb up in my lap with, with my word and, you know, the church, this church, and I think all of our lives, nobody's different here, need a desperate three-step plan of attack. And you and I, we would do well if we take note of what this is. And then we need to daily put it, I think we got to daily put it into our lives because we're inundated and we're surrounded by all this stuff. And I think we need to daily do this before we go to bed. Make certain we're on track. Well, pastor, I don't have any time. Listen, you put down the social media platform or the computer, you're going to have hours of time. Everybody's got time. Verse 5, remember that you used to be in love with Jesus. Remember, that's critical. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, that's our first R, repent, that's our second R, and do the first works. So what were those things that you first did? I can only think of my things. But what were your things? What was the height of your Christian walk with Jesus? What was it? Well, Pastor, I... I never really had one. Well, then you you know, honestly, you may not be saved. When Jesus comes in, something has to change. Amen. It has to Well, then for me, well, then you know, you need to go back and find out why because when the when the light comes in, the darkness flees and Jesus said you're a new creature in Christ, the old thing something has to change. Has to. This word remember means to call to mind, to exercise memory like the prodigal did. Remember, it says he came to his senses and goes, man, my my father's servants are better than me paying for this pig slop. And so he turned and went back. You gotta call to mind. You gotta exercise the memory. The son remembered how good life was back with dad and so he turns and makes his way back to his father's house. Verse 5 in the NIV reads like this, and I like this. Remember the height from which you've fallen. You were here. Are you still there or higher, or have you fallen? It's the same words. Whether you've fallen all the way to the gutter, or you've fallen a foot, or five feet, it's all, the, 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 the cure is the same. You, do you remember when your love for the Lord was the most important thing in your life? Nothing else mattered. I, I, I'm not even going to go to work. I'm just going to stay and read my Bible. No, I guess I got to go to work. Got to be a witness for Jesus. (laughs) I mean, all those crazy little thoughts. He was all you ever thought about. Is it still at that place minimum or growing, growing beyond that place? Has it ever been more raging than it is right now? I mean, it drove you. And it was awesome. And you couldn't get enough. Team, Life is meaningless without some passion. Can you imagine being married with no passion? That would be like just two slaves sleeping in the same bed. Passion is critical. I mean, passion for Jesus is critical. It is. It will drive you. It will cause you to do some of the craziest things. Guys, think back when you were first saw, whoa, All of a sudden, you took a bath. You took her somewhere that didn't have a drive-thru. Why? Because there was passion there. It's critical in our lives. Life is meaningless without passion, and if that passion is not for Jesus, then you've you've bitten into the wrong piece of fruit, and you're you're deceived, and, and you're being led somewhere, but Jesus said, no, just remember where it was, and then repent. Guys, I don't want to lay some guilt trip on any of us here, because I'm speaking to myself just as much as you. But you and we, me, we've got to examine our lives and see if we are hotter today than when we first believed. Or else. <laughs> I got enough fear of God in me when I see that or else. Whoa! Midnight last night, I redid my whole Bible study as it got to or else. It makes it a little more passionate, (laughs) (laughs) hey, Jesus is calling us to remember from where we've fallen, the word fallen speaks of a ship that's to fall off or to be driven from its course, spiritually to lose one's interest in Jesus being the center and core of everything in your life, that's remember, second word is R, repent, And, and listen, listen, we all here, listen to this, a lot of people probably have their idea what repent is, here's what it's not, Repent is, has nothing to do with tears, emotions, feeling bad, or a prayer. Now, if those things are going to be associated with the rest of this, uh, no problem. But that can't be what it is. Repent is a total change of mind, direction, conduct, thought, and priorities. If you disagree with that, go read Hebrews chapter 12, where Esau comes with tears and a prayer and all that, and God disregards him. Okay, it's critical. See, if I'm not madly in love with Jesus like I was at one time in my life, then I need to not think about it and remember and go, whoa, I'm way far away. And like, yeah, I'll kind of work on that. No, 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 no. That's doing nothing. You got to repent. And trust me, I did all mine last night. Okay, so I'm in good shape today. (laughs) Repent is not, repent is run back to the fire. And then allow that fire to be so observable in the way that you live your life that when you go out in the world, people are going, that's not humanly possible. Look, the boss just, you know, ripped you. And now now all of a sudden you're just smiling and saying, yeah, praise Jesus. What's the deal? Well, I'm just a good-natured person. (laughs) Don't say that. Repent suggests the need for radical change. Theologically, it involves a complete abandonment of yourself and a total heart change towards God. That's what it is. See, when there's marriage problems, if people do that, boom, they boot right back up. But if it's about their feelings and stuff, never gonna get there. The word repent has no rights and will do whatever it takes to go the other direction. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the first works. We're going to call that repeat. You know? So you know, you're laying down your head tonight. Let's see. Remember, repent, repeat. I mean, that, you know, it's like you're driving to work. Let's see. Remember, repent, repeat. Oh man, I didn't spend time with Jesus today. No legalism here. Just like, Lord, oh, I want, my heart wants to be there so bad. Just stay in that place where you're on fire. He doesn't say, oh, you didn't spend time with the Word of me. Oh, check mark. That, that, that ain't the God we serve. But did your heart want to be there? That's a totally different deal. Return to that first love and get it on and do or repeat the first works. And see, if you truly repent, you will, without thought, do that. You won't even think about it. Those first works, boom, they're just going to fire up. If I've moved from Jesus Christ being the central figure of my life, Jesus' command here is to remember and drop everything and run back to that place and repeat those first works. So do you remember what those first works were in your life? Do you remember how you used to pray and get others to pray and join you in prayer. And used to pray about anything and everything. Some of you might add a journal or a list and say, wow, Jesus is answering these things. It's awesome. And you're on fire. Because that was your thing. That drove you. The early church was devoted to prayer. They are passionate about it. And guess what happened? They turned their world upside down. A prayerless church is a powerless church. It's not a cliche. It's a deep-seated truth. The early church was so devoted to it. It's not optional day church. Well, you know, I just don't feel like getting up in the morning, or I don't feel like, you know. Hey, listen, it's not what we feel. Your feelings is what caused you to leave Jesus in the first place. Crucify those things. Do you remember when you read your Bible in the morning and at night and at lunchtime too, and every time you got a break, you just kind of, you know, woo. The early church was devoted to that too. Are you there? Do you remember when you couldn't wait to fellowship with other believers? I mean, you were not the last one here. You were always 30 minutes early because this is your family. Because, the, oh, that's my one I, that bore me and I grew up with. But, man, that one's not making it into heaven. The church family's making it into heaven. And you just couldn't wait to get here. Impromptu, spur-of-the-moment times to gather and worship. Woo! Man, yeah, come on over. Let's worship. In my crazy life, we would do that on Sunday night and we would stay there and and leave that at like seven or eight o'clock in the morning and go right to work. That's how crazy it was. See, I I got to repent a long ways. But we've always had a standing door open. Hey, you can come over. But I got a long ways to get back. The early church was devoted to intimate hangout. And I want to challenge us here. It wasn't hang out and talk about anything and everything that isn't Jesus. That is not hangout. That's just hangout. Hey, check out my new phone. Hey, check out this video game. That is not, that is not what the early church did. That turned people on fire. Feller, into, koinonia, the word's koinonia. They had this intimate fellowship with Jesus. And he showed up in their midst, and there was prophecy spoken, and words of knowledge, and, and tongues, and words of wisdom, and it was driving them. There was always fresh fire there. Do you remember what it's like? We know this verse, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's how the church in Ephesus started. But over time, they set off on their course of the, of, that they had prepared instead of following the course that God had prepared. And what I have found is the one God prepares costs me more time. It does. More of me submitted to God, more waiting on God, more waiting for God, more trust in God for it to happen... But, team, it's worth it, and here's why. Because God will never be a debtor to you. Whatever time, resources, whatever you put into him, he will never owe you more than what you put in. He'll owe you, he, he'll never, because he's going to pay you way back more. Well, I only got an hour, so I could sleep, or I could go pray. Hey, listen, God will give you two hours back. I'm not doing the whole name and claim it thing. I'm just telling you, that's the way God is. He'll never be a debtor to any man for what you do For him. Please notice the promise in verse 5. Remember therefore from where you fall and repent and do the first works. Say it. Or else. else. I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Someone say serious stuff from Jesus. It is. is. I mean that, that or else. That is not a threat. That is a promise. From the one who bought us and paid for us and called us, and chose us, and gave his life for us. Direction for radical change was given for them to take extremely seriously. Or else, I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You know what? They didn't repent. They failed to heed his word. I mean, all the time that Paul spent there, and and Peter spent there, and Titus spent there, and Timothy, all these guys, and John spent there, they failed to heed his word. Jesus is a jealous God, and he will not share that love or devotion with anyone or anything if you're part of his bride, even if you're busy. You know, you're on the move. Active ministry going on, making a difference. They were tireless in their efforts to serve the Lord, which it's commendable, but that is no substitute for an intense love and on-fire relationship with Jesus Christ and he who has an ear. That's what it says in verse 7. Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So how many ears you got? Look around. There's a lot of ears in here. Did you hear God speak to you? I heard him speak to me last night. Have you already repented? I don't know. I hope so if you need to. Have you heard the message with the ears of your heart? See, we can hear it in our mind, and by the time we walk out of here, it's like, what was that about? I'm not really sure. We've got to hear it with the ears of our heart for you're saved by grace. No, wait a second. Uh, if we confess with our mouth, and if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our, our heart, this innermost deep recesses of our being is the deepest place for a Greek to, to reason from. Have you responded to it? The phrase, to him who overcomes, it's repeated seven times. Each letter that Jesus writes to, that each church that he writes this letter to, he gives them all a promise. The Greek word it uh, looks like Nike. It's spelt that way, but it's pronounced Nike. To him who prevails, or to him or her who gets the victory. To him who has ears to hear and actually does the things that Jesus is speaking to that specific church. This church, he's telling them, you got to return back and you got to get on fire. And if you do that, you'll enter into heaven. To ever, look at what it says. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And I'm thinking, that, that, that isn't really what that says. So I go looking at a bunch of commentaries. That's exactly what that says. You can doubt it. That's okay. Just go look it up. Take your pick. The tree of life that had been uprooted and planted, if you read ahead, you're going to find it in Revelation 21, 22. It's in the midst of the paradise of God. And God is saying to you and me right now, be an overcomer, remember, repent, repeat those first love works when you first loved me, or else, team, just do it. Nikkei, be a victorious overcomer. We've all got to respond to his voice here. You desire to eat from the tree of life? I hope so. Because it's in the center of this new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven. Because that's where Jesus is going to be. The only other option, if not being there, is being tormented day and night forever and ever. I wouldn't wish that on my enemy. And what would it be for? A few passing passing moments of pleasure for myself. It ain't ain't worth it. We all have to do this, team. We all have to listen. We all, as individuals who make up the church, have got to do what Jesus is speaking to our hearts. You know, this is our our first... uh, Live broadcast. I'm thinking, oh, great. (laughs) Not exactly a passage to come out on. But you know what? If you're listening, you got to do it. Nobody gets a pass here. We know the church in Ephesus was challenged with the same message around 96 A.D., just like you and I are being challenged with right now. But around 99 A.D., according to church history, the lamp disappeared from Ephesus because of their refusal to bend their will to God's will. And the church is gone. You go there today, there's a few ruins. And Jesus is saying, I'm not going to stand around and stay around a loveless church. And so I kind of like how Jesus refers to his church as a lampstand. I mean, after all, we're the ones that are the lights to this dark world. It is so critical that the world sees our light. We're the witness to this lost world. And Jesus wants us to overcome. He wants us to eat of the tree of life. So remember the three R's. Remember, repent, or return, and repeat. It is critical to your final destination team, and this is not repeat for two weeks, like a camp experience, and then go right back to it. Because you know what? We won't get back to this. The rapture will happen, or I'll die. Maybe I'll live. But the rapture will happen before we get back here, probably. I mean, think about it. Twelve years from now, fourteen years from now, that would be 2018, uh, 28, 32, 33. Remember that, Tony, my wife was saying. remember that song that I think it was a Beatles saying in the year 2025 or whatever that was? We, yeah, whatever. We used to think, man, that's a long ways up. Not anymore. It's knocking at our door. <laughs> and we won't get back to this book until 20,030 2000, or plus. And just project the earth out, the world as it's going right now. Oh, but it's going to make a major upswing and then come back and get righteous and get holy. Yeah, if you believe that, I got land for sale. Just give me the money first and then I'll give you the land later. <laughs> hey, all of us who have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive, from the time we finish praying to the time we enter into heaven, this word is prophetic for you and me and it has got to be present in our lives or else it's critical critical stuff here this morning Father we're thankful for all that you want to do